Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Sandy Van Camp with Hunt Real Estate ERA in Canandaiga, New York. Last year, she closed 100 transactions with a total sales volume of $14 million. Her average sales price was $145,000, of which 48% were buyers and 52% were sellers. She has a five-member team, three part-time buyer agents, one project manager, and one team leader. Sandy Van Camp is the team leader of Van Camp Realty. She's been an agent for 14 years. In her best year, 2015, Sandy sold 132 homes for $17 million. In this call, Sandy talks about how she got a quick start by asking a few more questions, her love of design and carpentry, how her retirement career with the goal of selling one to two homes per year exploded and quickly became a full-time job, why her production initially fell when she hired and trained her part-time buyer specialist, how she personally closed 120 transactions in her peak year, why this ex-accountant does not like making number goals or tracking her stats, working a rural market, why educating your clients is more important than selling, how to break into the relocation market and a list of several providers, comparing the new breed of internet referral leads to the traditional relocation leads, naming a list of internet referral lead companies and how they operate, how to create word-of-mouth repeat and referral business from your past clients and sphere of influence, why she became a certified stager, scripts and role-play for helping your seller stage their home for a quicker sell, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Sandy. Good morning. Hey, Sandy. It's great to have you here. Sandy, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Initially, I started out as an accountant, and I became a senior accountant for Comstock Foods. And uh, as you did a number of years ago, then I took five years off to help raise my children. Then I started working for a company in East Rochester. And all the time, I actually did some design work for people laying out their homes in different ways that their house might work better for them. Design has always been my passion. So I started doing the accounting work for a company in East Rochester called The Lobster Trap. And it was a Sunoco station. They really had three businesses that I was doing the accounting work for. It evolved into me designing logos for the Lobster Trap, which is now a flourishing business today with my logos on a restaurant and a truck. And uh, I was there for eight years doing the accounting work, and he started sending me 
across the country to trade shows for one of the products we actually represented, and that's what started getting me into sales. I realized that if you know your product, you can probably do a pretty good job at sales, and it expanded their business considerably. So then an offer came up for a wholesale graphic arts coordinator in a sign industry locally, and graphic arts was what was my passion, but never uh, went after because of everybody said you're better off in math, so I went into the accounting field. So anyway, I applied for the job as a wholesale graphic arts coordinator, and I did not get the job, but they hired two of us, and I became a project manager for a national awning company that did backlit awnings for McDonald's, large-scale uh, large things, as well as residential. And I was there for 13 years. We merged with a major sign company. We became the largest sign company in the East, and I became their top salesman, the only woman for many years, made Signs of the Time magazine, and spent my time working with people, coming up with designs. And because I could sketch and I could design, I quickly made it to the top in the sales arena. The company did end up going out of business, and in 2002, after a couple of days of crying and wondering what I was going to be doing, making six figures and figuring, what do I do next? Several sign companies flew me out to their uh, companies offering me a job, but my family and my roots were here, so I declined to move, and I didn't want to work for the really small sign companies again. So that's when I decided to go into real estate, and that was in 2002. But sales and design was just definitely where I wanted to keep the rest of my career life, not accounting. So I started in a real estate. You came from the analytical side of the business and you moved into the sales side of the business. That's really impressive. It sounds like you're multifaceted. Have you ever taken the DISC profile test, the DISC? The design company gave me one, and it told me I should be in sales and design. <laughs> and uh, I, I believe Hunt gave me one. I'm not sure the exact name for it, but it's an aptitude type. So I believe I've taken it a couple times, and uh, I kind of am multifaceted because I use accounting a lot in my current job as well, justifying because I worked for H&R Block doing income tax as well when I was doing accounting. And I just find out that the more you know about everything, the better off you are at any job. So I basically use all of my education, and most of it was hands-on experience. When you first got in the business that first year, 2002, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had an extremely fast start. I started the 1st of September, 2002. And I became the top listing agent by December of that same year. Wow. Do you recall how many homes you either listed or sold that very first, what is that, three or four months there? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a numbers person when it comes to goal setting. I don't set goals. I'm anti-everything everybody says I should be. I work hard. I try to know my product. And... Uh, the numbers kind of just come as a result of caring and treating people the way I want to be treated. Let me ask you this, because there are a lot of people listening who are brand new or newer into the business. How did you get that quick start? Why did you become the top lister within those first three to four months there? 
think a lot of it. I used to listen to the other people because back in 2002, desk duty used to be really important. And I started working for a company that had a lot of call-ins. And I'd listen to the other agents, and when they answered the phone, they would say, sorry, it's closed or it's under contract, goodbye. I tried to tell a lot of them, yes, it might be under contract, but, you know, I'll put your name on the list in case anything should happen to this deal. And in the meantime, maybe I can find you something else. And I would pretty much grab almost everybody that came in because I took a few extra minutes to to help them get to the next stage if it wasn't on the house that they called in on. I think desk duty back then was the biggest way to expand and grow quickly. So it sounds like you were initially talking to these buyers on desk duty, yet you became the top lister. Were a lot of those buyers move-up buyers? Uh, yeah, it was a combination, uh, yeah, because many of them had to sell in order to buy. And as you interview them when they call in and, oh, by the way, where are you living right now? Are you renting? Oh, no, I got to sell my house. Uh, so that would lead me into, you know, working with them to, actually, I, I'm certified in staging now, but back then I would always help people get their house ready to sell, and pretty soon word of the mouth spread, and I became the go-to for making your house ready to go on the market. Let's fast forward to today. How long have you been in the real estate business now? Well, since 2002, so it'll be 15 years in August. How many homes did you sell last year, and what was the sales volume? Uh, last year, I sold 100 homes. It was $14.5 million last year. What was your best year? How many homes did you sell that year, and what was the sales volume? Okay, the year before was 132 homes, and it was $17.4 million. But I realized that I was doing almost all the work myself, and working 20-hour days, I realized I had to expand a team uh, because it's just way too much work. And I made good money, but I didn't have any hours to spend for anything else. There appears to be a drop between 2015 and 2016. You went from 132 homes sold to 100 homes sold. What happened there? Well, a lot of it is when you add team members on, especially when they're new team members, there's a big learning curve. And you're handing out buyer leads that you may or may not have sold if you kept them. Uh, So you have to realize that sooner or later, hopefully the other agents will get up to speed. And, you know, hopefully that's my my biggest drop and will start increasing as the new buyer specialists become selling specialists. So back in 2015, when you sold 132 homes, were you the only salesperson on the team? Yeah, I had a couple other ones that were doing, they all had other full-time jobs and they would do some nights and weekends. I don't know the actual volume that they had. I honestly couldn't tell you what their volume was, but I was definitely the majority of the salesperson uh, at that point in time. But I was working death. (laughs) If you were to estimate how many homes you think you might have sold that year by yourself, because people always ask me, what's the max you can sell by yourself? How many homes do you think you sold in 2015 that you were the agent either helping that buyer or that seller? I'd say maybe 120. I don't know. I, it's probably unfair. I really, because most of them I have to mentor 
and go through the process of what do you say, how do you say it, how do you become a good representative. So even though I might not have been the actual agent, many times you actually are, <laughs> only because you're trying to train them on how to become a good selling agent. Over your entire career, how many homes do you think you sold and what do you think the sales volume is? Um, according to the stats that my project manager put together, about 1,025 homes at $125 million. Let's make sure that everybody knows where you are. Could you please tell us the city that you're in and where it's located? Yes, uh, my business location is at the head of Canandaigua Lake, which is one of the Finger Lakes that is located just south of the New York State Thruway. Do you know what the population is there in Canandaigua? I honestly do not. It tends to be more of a tourist-type area, and it becomes a lot more active in the summer because it's one of the nicer, warmer lakes of the Finger Lake. I have a very wide range because I tend to be 100% referral, or at least close to that. So if somebody calls me from Lake Ontario, which is probably an hour north or an hour south, I typically, you know, accommodate because people have cared to call me specifically to help them, and I go where the need is there. I'm just trying to give people an idea. Is is that a big town, a big city? Is it a small town? Is it a rural or is it an urban area? Could you describe the area a little bit to us? Yeah, it's more of a rural area. The lake itself is likened, like the values on the lake is likened to similar to Lake Tahoe according to Forbes magazine a few years back. It's a growing area, but unlike uh, Rochester, which is a larger city, we're probably one of the smallest ones and still called a city. Uh, population is growing because of the, the desire to, number one, get out of the city itself, and the growth of different uh, businesses around, such as Eastview Mall, which is an ever-expanding mall, probably 20 minutes uh, west of Canandaigua Northwest, and new casinos are opening up all the time that are like 20-minute drives. So the area and the schools are rated uh, high demand for the schools in the area. So it's growing, but not radically. Like I said, it still tends to be a uh, more of a definite rural area, and the inside of the city is the traffic is getting kind of tense right now it's still very rural and not accommodating the traffic growth that's happening lately. Could you please describe your current real estate market? The volume of inventory right now is low. The average selling is between 125 and 150. Myself, I try to accommodate anybody that calls me if they're selling a $10,000 piece of land to a million-dollar lakefront property, I feel everybody needs equal opportunity for representation. So if you've got a mobile home that you're selling for 35000 and you want me to help you, I will. My goal is to be mainly a listing agent as my buyer team gets stronger, and then I can hand 100% of my buyer leads out to my buyer team at one point in time as I grow towards the retirement. Do you think that your prices are moving up, down, or flat? They're pretty flat for the most part. 
course, it goes in just like any economics. The price might be a little bit stronger as the inventory is low. You're getting closer to your asking point. We have not seen any kind of a real increase in the values in and around the rural areas of Canandaigua, Clifton Springs. It's farmer country, really. It's just kind of the inner city has gotten to be more active, but still a lot of farmland, and I specialize in all of it between land, farms, commercial, investment, and residential. How big is your service area? How far are you willing to drive in order to put together a transaction? Well, depends if it's just for listing. I easily will travel. If they've called me directly and asked for my help because they've been told I could help them, typically an hour I will drive. After that, I try and refer it out. But most people call because they've been referred to you, and I feel they deserve my expertise in trying to help them get where they want to be. You mentioned something really interesting. You said that you're bringing on this team and getting ready for retirement. Could you describe what your plan is for retirement? Yeah, I wish I knew. (laughs) I have one buyer specialist that could qualify as a relocation agent, and I'm hoping that she will actually become Uh, go through the certification because to be a relocation agent, you have to be certified and you have to take classes twice a year and you work with people coming in from all over the world. As part of ERA and uh, Hunt and Cardiff, we work for USAA, Navy Federal, and uh, industrial relocation, commercial relocation. But you can't be one of those agents unless you are certified. So you have to have so many years under your belt. You have to have so many sales under your belt, and you have to have good customer service. So they they critique you quite uh, closely before they allow you on their team. And this idea of retirement, I'm curious what your big plan is. It sounds to me like you'll build the team. And then will you remain as the head of the team and everyone else is doing production? Do you think that you would sell the team? What's your big picture view of what would happen at this retirement point? Well, I'm not a sitter. I'm a workaholic. So my goal is to be a, uh, be a constant mentor for as long as I'm able, uh, to be there whenever somebody needs assistance because I find it's very hard to to sometimes have the help you need uh, when you need it. I hear that from a lot of different agents, that they can't reach somebody when they want to. My goal is to continue listing and helping uh, my buyer specialists become listing agents as they grow. Uh, However, they're part-time, and because they're part-time, you've got to get to the point where you're full-time to be able to take on the things you need to do uh, when people need you to be there. So, yeah. Eventually, I'd like to just be listing and a mentor and then also have a partner lister with me. Uh, you mentioned relocation. Let's, let's jump into that. That's a pretty good piece of your business. You mentioned that it's, it's a challenge to get to that level to be able to do that kind of work. Let's go through a couple questions there. First of all, what percentage of your business is relocation? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> Never broken it down. Tell you the truth, I'd have to refer to my project manager to bring in the statistics on it. It is a strong part. Um, how much for the actual hardest relocation? 
things are changing all the time. There are so many companies coming out of the woodwork as far as referrals versus relocation. Relocation you have to be certified in. Referrals are things such as um, Fast Expert. Uh, there's all these companies go to the top five agents in the area. And then if they give you the referral, they want 25% back. Um, so this last probably six months or so has become a lot more active than it's ever been before because everybody feels it's a lot easier getting 25% from behind a desk than to run out and help people. <laughs> sure. So between all of that, between personal referrals, signs in the industry, of course, everybody said, why did you go with Hunt? They got the ugliest signs. I says, one of the reasons is because they got the most visible signs. Their school bus, yellow and black, and you can see them year-round. And when I went from one company, I, I left a small company and went to Hunt. The visibility of our signs, everybody just figured Sandy was the only Hunt agent. So I'd start, I'd start getting calls only because of the number of Hunt signs out in the field. You mentioned... Referral companies are popping out. You mentioned Fast Expert. Any other companies you can think of that are doing these referrals? Oh, yeah. There's Z-Buyer, Fast Expert. Um, there's so many of them that are coming out. And uh, Agent Pro, they're basically they're setting up their websites. And when people want a professional, they're going into these websites to find the best agent in the area. And when they go into, let's say, a Z-Buyer, the Z-Buyer will reach out to maybe one or more agents uh, to be able to represent that buyer or seller. And then if you agree to their terms of 25% referral fee, uh, then that lead comes to you, and then you report into them on a regular basis. And the buyer or seller fields are getting top representation because these companies only go to the top agents to increase their ability to make money, obviously. Basically, it's like an Angie's list of real estate. Uh, yeah, probably. I'm not sure. I think Angie's, I don't know if they get a referral fee. Maybe they do. I know that if you go to Angie's list, they supposedly have only the, you want a contract or whatever, you go to Angie's list. I guess you do pay a fee. I've never really been on it. I've heard of it. A couple of my buyers have used it and sellers to be able to, buy products less expensively. So maybe you are right. I honestly don't know enough about Angie's List to say it's exactly the same. But, you know, everybody's finding a new way to make money these days. You get like AdWorks, you get uh, Zillow, you get Trillium, all of these companies that try to sell you zip codes. And, and you get like tons of leads, and most of them are bogus. Most of them don't call you back, you waste time. Uh, you can buy all these zip code leads, but if they're not pre-screened, you're just taking way too much time for the amount of quality leads that you're getting. It sounds like you've been working with a fast expert, Z Buyer, Agent Pro. You've worked with them. You've made an arrangement. How is the quality of the leads that are coming to you? Well, it's all over the place, and uh, most of them... Because they are serious buyers, they usually do go into these companies. But I'm thinking that the companies might give it out to two or three top agents. And if you aren't the first one that calls them, they may never call you back. So sometimes you can call them and email them three or four times. 
and you may never talk to them. And other times you may call them and you may end up working with them, selling their properties or listing their properties. It's a mix, just like everything else out there, I guess. I think their leads are better than leads you might get from Zillow or Trillia, only because they have actually answered questions and many times have actually talked to to the company uh, to indicate that they are interested in buying or selling. Let's compare these referral leads to the relocation business, how would you compare that? What's the difference in your mind between receiving these referral leads from these these companies you mentioned versus getting the relocation lead? Well, the relocation is something you have to belong to. It is part of Haunt ERA and Cardiff called, and uh, we do represent Navy Federal USAA, and they actually have applied usually online to one of them or applied to Cardiff themselves as like a company might relocate you from Hawaii to Canandaigua to be an employee of the veteran VA. Uh, so they are definitely more qualified. There is an associated fee with it, obviously, and I, I don't want to relinquish the cost of doing it. Uh, but they are much stronger leads, and uh, they're ability to talk to you is a lot closer to 100% than what the other ones are. My understanding, and you can tell me if I'm closer, way off, is that the fee that you typically pay for a relocation is a bit higher than the referred agent. It's probably closer to 40%. Does that sound like I'm in the ballpark? Yes, because there's a number of people that have to pay for the people that are working for them. So the company that might refer them gets a piece of it. The referring company gets the piece of it, and then you get a piece of it. So, and then Hunt gets a piece of it. So, yeah, the cut is is a lot more substantial than if you're going to Agent Pro or one of them, where they just collect 25% for taking it in and referring it out. But are the relocation leads a higher quality because they've gone through these screening processes? Yes, typically they're definitely a higher quality of types of sellers or buyers. And they're usually coming in from out of the area. It's also something like an agent to agent. So say we've got a an office in Arizona and they've got somebody that wants into the Canandaigua area. So they actually go through the relocation company. And same thing with myself, I might have a seller that wants to move to Arizona or Florida or China, I actually go to Cardiff and I give the information to the relocation company of where this person wants to move to, and then they link them up to an agent in that area so that you might get a 20% referral fee, and then everybody gets, you know, they connect with other top quality agents in the area that they're moving to. So you would receive a, a referral fee for putting that into the system, assuming it closes? And of course, then the whole network would earn a fee as well. Because my question was going to be, why don't you just go direct and refer that to one of your friends out in Arizona or or wherever you were referring it? We're not allowed. (laughs) Oh, okay. So there's an agreement in-house that the company, by being part of this relocation network, cannot do an agent-to-agent direct referral. Correct. The comparison between the referral companies you were mentioning and the relocation leads that are coming in, are the relocation leads, you mentioned higher quality, 
are they more likely to, one, be referred just to one agent, and two, are they more likely to close? Okay, there are several relocation companies. Artists within Hunt ERA is one of them. So someone might come out to a couple different relocation companies. So it could be a competitive situation and often is. Cardiff will look into somebody wants to, say, move into the Canandaigua or local area. And there's two of us within Hunt in the Canandaigua area that are certified relocation. So they alternate the leads to us as relocation agents. Another relocation agency may also get that lead and we're up against a competitive situation of being able to work with that seller or buyer. What are the features? What's the difference? What's your competitive advantage if you're going up against another relocation company? How do you make sure that this buyer or seller work with you instead of them? Is it just the personality of the agent or are there other things that come into play? Well, I guess it's just like anytime you're up, uh, you're meeting with any kind of a seller or buyer and they're willing to want to work with you versus the other person. I think it's a combination. Do I get 100%? Absolutely not. I get a very high percentage. Back when I started with Hunt, it was almost nine years ago, actually, the 1st of February, and I had five companies interviewing me as I left my original company to go to Hunt, and it took me three months to decide which company to go to. I felt Hunt had more to offer the buyer, the seller, and myself than any of the other companies did. So I utilize the benefits when I'm meeting with a seller or buyer and call out, you know, the things that we can do for them, as well as my own abilities as a, uh, I help them, you know, you don't sell your house like you live in it. And I take the time with people that they deserve. I'm not in and out on a sales meeting. I might be there for two hours and not have the listing yet. But usually they'll all call me back and ask me to come in and represent them. My whole thing in life in the sign industry as well as real estate is education. It's not selling. I'm not a salesperson. I feel you know your most about your product, the most about what you can offer people, and If people feel you are genuine and not working for yourself and you're working for them, you will succeed. This relocation business, how did you get started in it? What was the origin story for you? How did you get in the relocation? Well, it's kind of, I didn't know anything about it. I was leaving a small local company in Candegua and uh, they actually, when I went over to hunt, they actually offered it to me and it just became part of of the changeover from the one company to the other. I kind of learned more about it after I joined it, but yeah, it was part of what they offered in my package. When you went over, did you immediately start receiving these relocation leads or did you have to go through some training? You mentioned certification. You know, what did you have to do to become part of that network? Yeah, well, you have to be certified. You can't have any, any kind of bad background, any they totally go over your background to make sure you don't have any violations against you or any legal uh, history in the past because you have you know, so much security when you're going into these homes. So I did take a class, and I was given leads as soon as I got out of the class because of my history and my sales. I became um, sales master, I think, within two years, and then I graduated to 
uh, to platinum, I think, the last four years, which is $10 million and up. Uh, so I've basically been, you know, a top-selling agent. After about three years in the business, I've, it just kind of kept growing as referrals kept growing. With these relocation folks that come in and, and out of your market, are they typically a higher price point than average buyer or seller in your market? Typically, not always, uh, because again, it could be an, another agent to agent, in which case, what I'm working with today, for example, they are actually moving out of our area in nearby Geneva to Buffalo. Now, the Buffalo agent now has to help them sell their house here in Geneva, and it's under a $100,000 house. So I'm going there this afternoon and working, taking photos and pictures and stuff. And so it has to go through relocation as a hunt-to-hunt referral. So, you know, I mean, they're, they rely on the fact that they're referred to me, so I'm not in a competitive situation typically. But some of them, and I have another one coming in from, say, USAA or somebody retiring from the military that may be five, 600000 They're all over the place. And there's really no percentage of consistency. The average is somewhere around 150000 but it depends on where it's coming from. I have other uh, people retiring from the military that are looking in the 200000 range, and then others that may be 80000 And in all honesty, my focus is on helping the people, and it's not on the numbers. And that's why I hate to, you know, avoid this, but I just don't have the correct answers for you. Uh, because I was the same in the sign industry. When I worked in the sign industry, if somebody wanted a small desk sign, I would work with them. They would tell other people, and soon my referral business just exploded because if you help everybody, other people will find out about it. I had one interesting situation when I first started in real estate, and I always use this as my guideline to telling people how to, especially my buyer specialist, It was a Friday afternoon. I was walking out of the office, and the phone rang, and somebody called and said they wanted to know about a piece of land, local price, in a nearby community about 20 minutes away. And I said, well, computers are all down. Uh, I can give you a call back tomorrow, or if you've got a few minutes, if you'd like, I can uh, wrap up the computers. And the guy said, yeah, if you could look at it now, that would be great. Everybody closed down on the office. I went in, I rubbed up the computer, I helped him, I sold the property to him, and it turned out he was a multimillionaire testing to see who would take the time to go. And he did it, the time was on purpose to see if you would go the extra mile. And any time I think of that in the future, it was a $20,000 piece of land. And he had properties all over the country, multi-properties. And you never know when that test is out there to see if you're the agent that they want to work with. (laughs) That's great. And have you done more business with him since then? I had for for a number of years. Uh, At this point in time, we haven't connected in a while. But it does make you realize the importance of treating everybody equal, no matter if it's a $10,000 property or a $200,000 property. You never know. When I was in the sign industry, it might have been a $50 sign that might have turned into a $150,000 monument sign. I worked with mostly architects, 
after my reputation started to grow in the industry. And uh, you, just, you just find out you got to start someplace, and you just never know where the next dollar is going to come from. Another couple quick questions on relocation. And you just, of course, mentioned that you don't want to look at the bottom line, but people do want to have an idea what's going on there. So my question is this. Uh, these relocation transactions, there are a lot of people taking a cut. You're putting a lot of time into them. And the, so the question is going to be, have they been profitable for you? Are you making money at the end of the day on that transaction? Or does it become break even and you're looking for that long-term relationship? Well, there's two answers to that. If you didn't get the lead at all, you would be making nothing. So if you got the lead as much as the other agent on the other end, uh, you got to realize that I chalk it up to advertising because the more people you work with, the more people know about you, and many times they'll tell their aunt or aunt. So I may work with them on one property, and I may end up having four or five other leads from them. So say I do a listing, I may make you know much less than the person bringing in the buyer, but in the long run, advertising costs you money too. So and zero money is a lot lower than making a couple grand versus maybe making four grand if I was on the other side. And then sometimes you get both sides of it. If you were talking to an agent who wanted to get into the relocation business, what would be your advice to them? Well, I guess one of my buyer specialists, probably an example there, she is a paralegal. She actually uh, has been a buyer specialist for me for a couple years now, and she's and I try to uh, make incentives for them so that the more they sell, the higher their split becomes. I guess the whole thing is you really have to care about the people and what you're doing more so than did you make less money than somebody else. If it bothers you that you're making less money than someone else, then maybe that's not the right place for you. It's not right for everybody. I just find it's given me so much more exposure and so many more leads outside of relocation that, to me, it's well worth it. And you did mention a, another point that, that shouldn't be forgotten. And that is with these relocation leads, I assume that you're, you're not paying to be part of this network. And so even though you're paying a referral fee back into the system, a relocation fee back into the system, and you're taking a smaller cut, you would be doing that, as you mentioned, if you were going out to find new business and you are paying for advertising to generate those leads in. So it could be compared to a new lead that you paid for in the form of advertising. Right. And it's all mental attitude. I mean, if you sit there and just uh, think that, you know, everybody else is making more money, advertising has gotten so expensive. And I probably get two or three calls a week from companies that want to sell you a zip code or, I mean, I work probably in 20 zip codes. You know, the number of hits online, you can pay $600 to have 17 hits a month. I'd rather have a good solid referral fee paid out for a really good lead that I'm actually working on than to get, you know, three or four or five people calling me that, that are just out there trying to research or just fooling around on the internet and they're just wasting your time. Well, Sandy, let's do this. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about another large source of your business, and that is repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. Let's talk about that. The first question I have for you is, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? 
Again, as you've heard me say, I am not a numbers person. I had an administrative assistant who has now just become my project manager. She just got her license. And all of the calls that are coming in, I'm filtering through her right now for research because it's not what I like to do. It's not what I want to do. I like to do what I'm good at. And I, when I don't like to do something, I just soon pay somebody else to do it. And as far as percentages and numbers of how much come from referrals, I couldn't even tell you. I hear that my, oh, my neighbor told me your sign's in the field, but do I keep track of it? No. I just work. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, let me ask, do you have a formal database uh, of past clients in Sphere of Influence? Do you keep them all in an Excel spreadsheet or in a CRM? My assistant does all of that, my project manager. She managed, she's got, I don't know, two, 3,000, and she's working now on upgrading it because we've all been so busy over the years that if some of it's gotten to be, you know, you send out a Christmas card or something on the internet and a lot of them are bouncing back. So she's now, since she just got her license in October and became my project manager, she is now focusing on where do we spend our money, if we spend our money, and how do we keep reaching out to our past clients, which is something I have not been good at. Uh, because I haven't had the time to do it. And she hasn't had the time either as an administrative assistant, but now she's working solely for me as a project manager. So this has become her goal uh, to be able to analyze, is it good to be on Facebook? Is it good to be on AdWorks? And where do I pay money or where do I not pay money? Or should we just focus on, you know, the past references? I don't have the answers to any of that yet because it seems to be an ever-changing industry. And I am not a millennium. I did hire in a millennium as one of my buyer specialists who is very anxious to learn. And I'm hoping that he will help us learn as well as I help him learn uh, to make this team successful into, as I go further into my retirement, and utilize them for both listing and selling so that they're both successful. So I would say we have like two to 3,000 that were work that we're sending out, and she's trying to hone them down to have good uh, references. Hunt has a great, like an agent pro type of uh, touch base, and we are now working on trying to upgrade our, our people into that program. You mentioned moving further into retirement. Do you consider yourself in retirement now? <laughs> no, it, it's my beginning of thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that's that's pretty incredibly active for retirement and, and very productive. Let's continue to talk about these repeat and referrals. So it sounds to me like you do not have a formal plan for staying in touch with your past clients and sphere of influence at this time yet you're receiving a lot of referrals uh, from this group. And my only guess would be that you're either, A, somehow you're staying in front of them, maybe they're just people you're seeing on the streets, or B, you just did such an incredible job that they constantly remember you. How do you think it is that you're still getting repeating referrals and yet you're not staying in front of them in a formal way? Well, we are in a small community. Um, and my reputation has grown considerably 
I remember when I first got into real estate, there was one local lady here, and I thought she did all the real estate. I did no real estate at all before I got in this business. I figured, oh, I'll sell one or two houses a year, and uh, that'll be how I'll go into retirement. That was what my thought process was in 2002. I never thought I would ever become what they call as a top agent. I still don't think I am one, but I guess people tell me I am, so I guess uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Mostly it's word of mouth from what I'm hearing from other people. Somebody told me about them. My aunt told me, my cousin. Everybody said that you're the person to go to. I got to sell my house. Uh, locally in the rural community, I think most of it's just word of mouth between people. And uh, depending on the community you're working in, a lot of the agents are not, they're, they're kind of part-time. They may sell, I guess, 10, 15, 20 houses a year. So the more you sell, if you sell 100 to 150 houses a year, people hear about you more. If they see the signs in the field, especially the hunt signs, they're going to know more and more about you because your visibility, it's like Coca-Cola puts an ad on the Super Bowl because it gets seen more. You can buy a Zillow lead for $600 a month, and you only have 17 impressions in one zip code. That's a lot of money for 17 impressions a month, and you may or may not get one lead out of it. So your impressions in the field, the, the signs and the word of mouth, I think, are probably been my survival up till now. Uh, as we're getting more and more into the millennium generation, I think we have to change just like... Uh, just like everything else seems to be changing. And that's where I'm kind of relying on my project manager to help me while I continue the business the way I have been and relying on somebody else to know where should we look and where should we go to to keep both my buyer specialist and my business going in a positive manner. Do you purchase internet leads? Are you out there on the internet bringing in leads and converting them? I had one zip code in Farmington with Zillow, and that's only to stay as a premier agent. I think out of three years, I've only gotten two leads. So the only reason I'm continuing to pay for it is to stay as a premium agent. Zillow is changing on a regular basis, but we all realize they're the number one go-to site out there. So you don't want to be invisible when it comes to Zillow. I get some leads. Zillow might give me a lead from an area I'm not even paying for. Supposedly, that's not supposed to be happening, but it tends to be it tends to be happening. So I'm not really sure exactly how the Zillow is all working at this point. Uh, but I know Zillow and Trulia tend to be the two that everybody goes to. So I'm also my assistant right now is taking part in some of the freebie intros, like the Facebook ones. I think Facebook, we're paying like maybe $13 a month or something like that just to see what kind of reactions we're getting from it. And we're in the infancy of all this, uh, total infancy, because I've never had a project manager before. I've never done it before. So tomorrow maybe maybe I'll sell 200 Maybe I'll drop to 75 because I'm not a millennium uh, and I'm trying to learn how to be one. I don't know. <laughs> Very good. I think these are going to work out just fine. That's my personal belief. Let's switch gears for a second. You mentioned before that you're a certified stager. I think it's ASP stager certification. 
Could you tell us what that is, how you did it, how it affects your work? Well, actually, I took the class when I was out in Vegas in one of our ERA conventions. I always liken it to you don't sell the way you live. And I become, and I do all my own photographing. I don't hire it done. I used to hire it done, but if somebody left a sock on the floor, they wouldn't move it. Uh, So I got a wide-angle lens, so I take all my own photographing. You'll never see the refrigerator covered with cereal boxes or magnets. I may take two hours to photograph someplace just because the first place you see is online. Uh, If you don't like property when you're seeing it online, your chances of going to see that property are are minimized considerably. So staging, and I don't mean staging where you're bringing in furniture and stuff like that. It's more like decluttering, repositioning, and making the house uh, become in a presentable manner. And it's extremely important before you photograph any property to make sure it presents itself in a positive manner. So Sandy, you got this certification in the staging. At what level do you stage the homes? Are you going in where it's a vacant home and you're bringing in all the new furniture or is it more likely that you're going into a occupied home and you're helping people declutter and rearrange things? It's both. I don't bring furniture in. Um, I have done where some of the tricks you do in staging, say you've got an older home, there's a lot of defects in an older home. So if it's empty, what I try to do with people is I encourage them. I don't do it myself. I encourage them to go out and get a number of cardboard boxes for the bedroom, for example. Cover the cardboard boxes with a sleeping bag and a a beautiful bedspread. Go get an old milk can, spray paint it, take a couple twigs off the tree, stick it in there, and actually stage the room for zero cost. To take the attention away from the defect, and some people will come to me with their property being on the market for two or three years and say, what do I do? I heard about you. And we'll sometimes use these tricks to take the attention away from you know, they're minor defects. They're not structural. They're just, you know, they may have a poor drywall or, you know, some uh, some things that actually detract from the property. Uh, so by putting something in there with a bedspread that they love and is really nice, we actually have gone in and we've sold the property in the first open house by just bringing them some cardboard boxes, a sleeping bag, and some bedspread. Many times we'll cover floral couches, which tend to be not very appealing to many people. We'll, I'll have them go out and buy a velour blanket, a solid color, and cover it, for example. Many times I'll go into a house and they have heavy, heavy drapes and the house with cave light, and they'll have blue carpeting over hardwood floors. I've gone in where I tell them we'll take all the curtains and the drapes down, we'll put up shears to allow the light in, and if the floor looks good underneath, we'll have the carpet taken up. Tremendous result in getting a property sold. These are the things I tend to be good at, and they have actually been extremely successful in getting a property sold. may have been on the market for a long time with another agent that took the picture of the house with uh, Kellogg's Rice Krispies on top of the refrigerator (laughs) and all the grandchildren's pictures on the front of the refrigerator. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Well, it sounds like you recommend that an agent go get a staging certification if they can. Are there any companies that you recommend that they go to? I don't remember the one that I was certified with. I can't recall now. I think a lot of it, even if you've done the class, is a lot of it is common sense. If you think about looking at pictures, what appeals to people. I think most people are afraid to tell the seller to do things because they're afraid they're going to offend them. A lot of it is how you say it and and the results afterwards. I think the hardest thing when I went into any kind of sales was actually telling people what they needed to hear and not being afraid to do it, but doing it in such a way that that didn't offend them. Um, And that's just learning how to to, um, communicate with people in a positive way. It's not so much what you say, it's how you say it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, how do you do that? Let's give an example. Let's say that you walk into my home and you recognize that, I don't know, what's a common problem that you would see? One of the biggest ones I find quite often is the really bad window treatment um, that are making the house very, very dark. The brighter and lighter the house, the larger it looks and the more the house will wrap its arms around a buyer. That's the biggest thing is to me. You have to make your house wrap its arms around the buyer. People buy it by emotion, not by need as much as emotion. And it goes to the old thing is buyers can be liars. And it's not that they're lying. It's just they don't know what they want until they see it. Many times you can go to a car lot and you can see three Corvettes sitting there. And there's only one of them that's going to catch your eye. And you're probably willing to pay more for that Corvette than the other two. That's the same thing with house buying. They could... Chances are they're going to be going to three or four houses in an afternoon. How is your house going to stand out? Because obviously all of them meet their criteria to a point, but how is yours going to be the one they put the offer in on? And that's kind of how I start out with my seller. And what I'll sometimes do is I will, many of them have heavy, heavy drapes. And that's one of the worst things. I had one, a really nice house. It It was a newer home. And there was just so much furniture, so many plants, and so many heavy, heavy drapes that by the time they did the things I told them and they put up shears that matched the walls, they almost didn't want to sell when they were done. Uh, (laughs) Because so much light came into the house, the house just exploded with energy, and uh, we, we moved plants around, we put some things into storage. We actually had to finish some of the things they had started. It sometimes still take up to two months before we go live with the suggestions I give people. I have another one right now that um, I've been doing carpentry work for 40 years. I, my house is an 1800s house that I totally gutted and rebuilt myself. So I, I use a lot of my expertise Uh, with both buyers and sellers in helping them come up with an idea for a house that otherwise is close to what they want, but it's only 80%. And that's gone a long way to help me with buyers especially. 
putting offers in on properties that they might not have otherwise liked the property. So it's it's kind of a mixture. It's kind of weird. I, I use my accounting, my carpentry, my design, and my knowledge of what um, the benefits of owning a house can do for a person. And I guess that's one thing that you can't teach everybody. And some people will do it by goals. Oh, I want to sell so much this month. I've never, ever done that. The sign company tried to make me do that. I said, if you need me to do it, I can't work here because that's not the way I work. And the staging part, in your house, for example, you would be taking all those heavy drapes down. You'd be going out to big lots, buying the cheapest shears you could get. Because, let's face it, you're not going to wash them. You're only selling your house. And you put shears up there and the light comes in. I always try to get them to paint any peeling paint. Anything that's going to be dinged in an appraisal, I try to get them to take care of ahead of time. If there's an evidence of potential uh, mold or anything in the basement or the attic, I suggest they take care of it ahead of time because it will scare people off and chances are they're going to have to do it before they sell anyway. So it's better to do it before you put it on the market. Let's do this, if you don't mind, uh, maybe a little scripting, maybe a little role-playing. Let's say that you walk into my house and I have, I'm have i the one that had those heavy drapes, had those plants everywhere. It was, it was kind of dark inside. Let's do a little role-play. I'm the seller. You're the agent. How would you tell me that these are problems and convince me that I need to make this change? Let's go ahead and start. Okay, Mike, uh, you've got a really, really nice home here. However, it does feel very, very dark. Do you mind if I take a minute and kind of show you something, Mike? Oh, oh, okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pull these drapes way back and tell me how you feel about this room once we've allowed more light to come in. We've raised the shade, we've opened the blinds, and maybe we just pull them back with a rubber band and put a tack in the side of the molding. How do you feel this room looks now, Mike? Oh, it does look different. It is a little brighter in here. And once we bring, and we do this to all these windows, you've got six windows in this room, Mike, and right now all of the drapes are, you've maybe got about a foot open between them, and then you've got heavy shears between them. And I know it's winter, and you're kind of keeping the cold Uh, but because these six windows are now making you feel that your room is much smaller than it really is. So if we did this to all of these, and do you see this plant over here in the corner, Mike? Yeah, I love that plant. Yeah, it's a gorgeous plant, but the only problem is we've got so much furniture in this room that do you mind if I take this plant and we'll put it over in the morning room where it going to flourish because it's going to get more sun because you've got a lot of leaves and stuff that are dying because it's not getting a lot of light. And if we put it in the morning room, and right now your morning room is full of children's toys. So when people come in here and say they don't have any children and they want to entertain in the morning room, um, what if we put that plant over there and maybe we put a small table with a couple chairs in the morning room? So people could think about using it for dining instead of as a toy room for the kids. Oh, okay. I see what you're doing. 
So see, what, Mike, what's happening is you have to let people think of what they can use the house for, not necessarily what you use the house for, because you don't sell the way you live. A morning room is actually made for people, for dining pleasure, to enjoy the outside, a lot more light. And your room is really light. I mean, compared to the living room, see how big this morning room looks? Yes. How do you feel when you're in the morning room? Do you feel different than when you're in the living room? I got to tell you, I love to take a cup of coffee and go in the morning room early in the day and get my day started right. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you like to be able to go into the living room and feel that same kind of an emotion that, oh, God, look at all this space and what I could do, and I can bring my furniture in there because now the space looks bigger and now you can probably accommodate your room that you might not have thought you could before because it looks so small. You know, I can understand that. I was trying to, to keep the cold out of that room and the furniture was from my grandma. And so I just thought I should keep it. But I see what you're saying. You see, your, your walls are kind of uh, a taupey color. Instead of white, see if you can go to, you know, don't get expensive ones. Uh, you got six windows here. Go to the local store. Sales are going on right now. See if you can kind of bring the same tone into your shears. And let's pack up all your heavy, heavy insulated drapes. And you can leave them for the people or you can take them to your next home. Uh, but let's put the shears up there. And, um, and then we'll actually pull them to the side to let the natural light come in. But we'll need to make sure your windows are sparkling clean so that, you know, they'll Cleanliness, the old thing, is next to godliness. So if, uh, if your windows are sparkling clean and you're letting the sunlight in, what it's telling people is that you're taking care of your house. It's kind of like when you're trading your car in. If you took your car to the car dealership, you should pay $125 to have it dolled up. Because if you took your car in full of empty cartons or, um, you know, boxes and uh, McDonald bag, they're going to think you don't take care of your car. It's the same thing with your house. The cleaner your house is, the more maintained it is, they're going to think that you've really taken care of your house. I'm not going to be afraid to buy your house because you've cared about your house. Hey, that makes sense. And Sandy, you think this is going to make a difference in the sale? thousand percent, yes. Okay, well, let's do it. And we'll go through each room of your house and we'll kind of look at things that could help make people feel that they can use that room for what it's really meant for, even though that might not be what you're using it for right now. Would that work for you, Mike? Oh, that would be awesome. Thank you so much, Sandy. I, I'm going to do that. And Mike, just between you and me right now, I actually did this with one couple. We sold the house that same day. <laughs> and I bet you use that story when you're talking to the next seller. You've got it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That was great. Thank you so much for walking through the role play with me. Uh, you did a great job. I can see your belief in what you're doing and your talent in describing what they need to do. Let's do this, Sandy. I'd like to switch gears and I'd like to talk about your, your team. You've mentioned that you're building up the team. Could you describe the team to us? Sure. I've got three buyer specialists. One of them actually 
basically he brings in a lead once in a while because he works for an organization. They all have full-time other jobs, for example, except for my project manager. One of them actually does H&R block income taxes and stuff like that. So sometimes he'll get a a seller lead based on his his job working on income tax. So we will sometimes either co-list or we will do like the buyer team. Then anybody that calls in on the property that I end up listing would be a buyer lead for them to continue on, sell the house, or to find them another property to buy. A second one that I have is strictly a buyer specialist, and she's actually a paralegal right now for an attorney doing uh, a variety of different legal services, and one of which is real estate. What happens is when I do a listing, I give every other, I assign the listing to my buyer specialist. Uh, So every other listing gets assigned to one of my buyer specialists. So uh, once it's assigned to them, they call the seller and introduce themselves to them because I've already told them that one of my buyer specialists would be calling them. And then they arrange with my seller to do open houses. So we now have assembled a team between my seller, my buyer specialist, myself, and my project manager, who is is an in-house project manager. So I told the seller that one of these people would be the only ones that are really contacting you, other than the showing service that would let you know when something is being shown. So once assigned to a property, 100% of the buyer leads goes to that buyer, unless it's somebody I've already been working with. One of my two or 3,000 that I've actually been working with, and sometimes that'll go to them as well, depending on the situation and how long I've been working with them and how close the situation So the other buyer specialist is, uh, my third one is a millennium, and he's like 25 years old, and I'm trying to teach him about construction. Many of the properties we have and working with in the rural community are older homes, and when growing up, many people in the cities aren't familiar with septic systems and heating systems and air conditioning systems and stuff like that. So I've been trying to teach him more about construction so that he can be more familiar when somebody says, oh, what's that? Or I've been having him go to classes for well management, uh, erosion. Again, my belief is you have to know as much as you can about, not that you tell them what to do, but to to know where to point them if there's a question. So right now I'm trying to learn about the millennium a little bit more and the advertising and where they go, and at the same time teaching, because it's still a mixture between old school real estate and, and new real estate. And because I've been doing carpentry work for so long, a lot of my success has been revolving around my knowledge in design and uh, structure. So he gets assigned to a property, and I've been kind of working with him hand-in-hand to learn more about how to talk to people and how to relate to people. And whenever he's working with a buyer, he has full line to me, and sometimes he might call me and say, how do I say this or what do I do? And we'll role-play. So a lot of it is role-playing right now, and again, he is assigned to do the open houses for the ones I've I've relayed. Sometimes we'll do them together, 
and sometimes he'll do them on his own. But I'm giving a lot of leads away right now, and I'm thinking that, you know, that's a good portion of, you know, the drop, the temporary drop, let's put it that way. I think he's going to be good. It's just going to take time to get to the point of knowing how to say things. And similar to, like, our role play when you go into somebody's house, if you go in and just say, look at Mike, you've got, you've got to change this house around because I can't sell it the way it is. If you just said that, you would not be listening with that person. And it's how you say it. It's not what you say many times. And that's what I'm kind of role-playing with this buyer specialist with right now. My project manager, like I said, she was my AA. She was the AA for the office. And so we have another AA in the office now. She is now part of my team, a very strong part of my team, because I could not do the things I do. She does a lot of research for me, and she does a lot of the CMAs, because the CMA is only a statistical analysis. Statistically speaking, you look in a certain area, and she actually sets up a beautiful book that we go on our listing appointments, and I turn all of my deals into her, and she coordinates and monitors timelines and making sure we stay up with, with all the details. At the same time, she is now, for the first time, trying to go through, you know, different offers for advertising and exposure through Facebook, AdWorks, and all of these other areas to see which one's the best one for us and our future ongoing success. Last year, did you have these three buyer specialists working with you? Are they new, or have they been with you for a while? The Millennium Home was something named has only been with me for several months. He joined us last year. Uh, he was recommended by by him, and I've been trying to work hand-in-hand hand with him. Uh, the paralegal's been with me for a while, and, again, I want to get her certified in relocation so that, you know, that she can actually uh, take over a portion of that as our team continues to grow. And whether I add more team members or not, I'm not sure at this point. I'm trying to give I'm trying to make everyone a success first before we grow further, if we need to grow further. Would you mind describing to us how you put together the compensation for your buyer specialist? That's been always a question that I never really had any guidance for. I've tried to interview a couple of other agents, but many times they're they're a little more closed mouth about what they do because they're all kind of a... When I first started the team concept, I've gone through several of them. Many of them will start being on a team figuring they can make more money on their own. And so then they leave, and then all of a sudden you don't hear from them again. The team concept is is evolutionary. What I have done when when a, a new person starts, especially if the ones that have really started have not really been successful in real estate, uh, the ones that are already successful, really don't want to join a team because they're already successful. Why do they need to join a team? So I've always worked with people that still have a lot to learn and a long way to go to become a successful agent. So it's definitely been a learning curve for all of us. So I'd start them out, say, like at a 45% split. They get 45, and I would get the balance after hunt split. So I would work with them initially. The first time we would go out together with a buyer, for example, they'd kind of watch me as I was going through, 
and then what we'd sit down to write the contract, they would just sit there while I wrote the contract and interfaced with the buyer. So they could learn from me and the questions uh, that I would go through when I'm working with a buyer because I don't just say sign here, here, and here. I want to make sure they understand the contract. So then after a couple of contracts, me working solely with them listening, we would kind of split it and I would give them, here, you do this part of the, the purchase offer and I'll do this part. We'll work on it together. And then after that, I would be there and watch them do it. So it's, it was kind of an evolutionary, how do you get to the point where you write your contract yourself? When they're new, I still have them send all the contracts to me before submitting because there's a lot to learn about a contract and uh, what you need to do to make a, a contract that makes sure that everybody's being represented properly. Things like checking boxes and coming up with logical dates and stuff that uh, it takes a long time to learn a lot of those and how to actually interface with the buyer so they understand why does it take, especially out-of-state buyers, they can close in 30 to 45 days and it takes us two and a half months. So when you're writing up things, you don't put interest rate, prevailing rate. That doesn't protect the buyer. So I try to educate them all on how you make out the purchase offer and, um, and what loopholes to look for. Uh, after they've been out on their own, we do a 50-50 split, and then after they make X amount of money, I do a 60-40 where they get 60 and I get 40 once they've uh, passed a certain threshold of sales. And does that uh, go back to 50-50 at the beginning of each year until they work back to a, a certain amount of sales, or once they achieve it, they're just 60% there on out? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it starts over at the beginning of each year? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, it does. Thank you very much for walking us through that. Are you profitable? Uh, yeah. Yep. I make more money than I ever thought I would make in a lifetime. <laughs> I guess there's two things about being profitable and successful. Uh, I think the biggest part of success is an emotional feel that you're doing a good job and if you feel that you're doing a good job and you're helping people, that's the biggest part of your paycheck. And if you really feel that, I think the money comes as a result of that. And, uh, yeah, I do very well financially. Of course, I don't live in New York City, so I may be a poverty-stricken if I was living down there. But, uh, yeah, I feel that I, I, I have been very successful both emotionally and financially. Would you mind disclosing to us what your net profit margin is? You know, I never really thought about it. That's really kind of a tough one. I wish I thought of that ahead of time because I don't want to misrepresent that in any way. 40%? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I could be very, very much off on that, and I apologize for not having, having that ahead of time. Uh, no problem. Thank you so much for working through that. Sandy, let me ask you this. What drives you? Well, number one, I'm a workaholic, always have been, grew up on a farm, and we work from sunup till sundown, and I tend to be that way. Uh, even if my work is done, I'm going to find something to do. I'm not a TV setter. Uh, knowledge, I think knowledge of what I'm doing 
is one of the biggest things. When I started in the sign industry, to digress, everybody, the sign company would hire new people. And, of course, because I was the only female for a long time, they'd always use me as an example. See, if she can make it, so can you. Because, obviously, if a woman can make it, anybody can make it. And they would hire new salespeople, and they would last for a few months and then then quit. And I would always tell them, learn, learn your product. Learn, learn that when, you know, when somebody asks a question or the right application there, the more you know about something, the better you are to represent it. And if people feel you're genuine and you really care about them, you will, the money will come as a result. And I see people come and go in the sign industry, and they would not want to learn signs. They would not want to learn things, and they would never last. And I think the same thing in real estate. If you just are in it because you like houses, you're never going to make it. You've got to care about the people. You've got to care about their wants and needs. You have to listen to the seller and the buyer. And if you listen and you know how to respond or know where to go, to get the right response, you will make it. Uh, but you got to care. And you can't care about the paycheck. You have to care about the people. If the paycheck is all you're looking for, go get a job making a, an hourly wage. Sandy, why have you been so successful? I guess a combination of all of what I just said. I, I care about others. I treat people the way I want to be treated. And I learn as much as I can about anything I do. Um, and, of course, I've had a very diversified background between carpenter and accounting. I do 1031 exchanges. Um, uh, you know, I do environmentals. I go to as many classes as I can to learn as much as I can to know the pitfalls and the benefits of real estate. Uh, you don't just go for your required 22 and a half hours. You go for what's going to help the buyer and the seller and yourself and your team and the more you learn about it, it's a, it's a formula for success, is knowledge. Knowledge and teamwork. And you treat other agents, whether they're from your company or any company, as part of your team. When I go to a seller and they said, well, your competition was here, I said, you know, I hate to say this, but there really isn't competition. I'm going to show you what we do. I'd love to be able to work with you but we'll all work together. And if I have a buyer, if you list with someone else, I will bring that buyer in because we can't do it all ourselves. We need team players. Well, Sandy, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Well, so it's so very different now than when I started. When I started, it was desk duty. And you, could, you always had people that were at least interested in calling in. Right now, desk duty doesn't work anymore, and most of the offices are are closed where you, you know, if a lead comes in on a listing, you have to give it to the listing agent, and that's the only place I would work is because I know more about my property than anybody else does. So I guess the biggest thing today for anybody to be a success is to probably find a team that you'd like to work on or work with a team leader that you feel is going to be part of, that's going to contribute to your success, and to give it your all. Sandy, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Yeah, Mike, I definitely do. Um, 
The main reason for that is is not everybody fits the same mold. The, the mold that I was given in every place I've ever worked before was set goals, uh, do it the way other people have made success, and it's never been my way of doing it. So if there's other ways to become successful and you don't feel like you're fitting that mold, don't give up. Well, Sandy, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Coming from the accounting degree into uh, design, construction, and real estate sales, I guess the biggest thing is go where you feel your passion is. Uh, if you have in mind at all, your passion is going to be the, the line to your success. I love sales. Uh, I love the fact that I can help people get to be where they want to be. And as a result of that, I feel I've become very successful. Uh, but don't do not do it just for the money. And I seriously encourage that because you're not going to be a success if that's the only reason you're doing it, unless you have some kind of a secret, uh, a secret way of going down that road. Well, Sandy, you are right. Integrity beats greed in the long run. Your post-career plan for selling a few homes per year skyrocketed into a super successful practice when you mixed integrity with a strong work ethic. You keep mentioning retirement, but I think you're having too much fun helping clients achieve their real estate dreams. It's encouraging that you've decided to bring on buyer specialists and mentor them in your methods and business approach. You're open to new ideas and happy to pass on what you've learned. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 140 homes last year, making 40 calls per day. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.